Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information, go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. on part five, the final part of a series on spiritual warfare today. But before we get into that, two really great things to tell you about, or important, maybe so, great too, whatever. Hey, it's all good. Uh, the first one is tonight, as you just heard the announcement, first step, part one, right here at 530. Free dinner, free child care. This is a chance for you and I to get to talk personally, to talk about all the who's, what's, when, where's, and why's of Grace Life Church, to find out if this is the church for you. So if you are new to Grace Life, be here tonight, 530. Your team might be losing Good reason to walk away from the TV. If your team is winning, it counts as sacrifice in heaven. Y'all didn't know that? We'll we'll look it up. I bet it's in there somewhere in the Bible. All right, anyway, so no, I hope to see you guys tonight if you're uh, new. And if you're not new to Grace Life and still haven't been, well, then all the more reason to uh, be here tonight. Second thing is, who wants to know where we are with getting out of this and into that? Yeah, good, cool. So let me tell you a little bit about our timeline. Our timeline has uh, progressed. So here's the first thing. Uh, You know we've been waiting on a building permit, and in order to get a building permit, there are two aspects to it. There's a civil engineering side, and there's an architectural side. The good news is this week we got a letter, and we've got the civil engineering side. Come on. Yep. And uh, we are in the final stage of revision and review for the architectural side. What that means is we should have a building permit by Thanksgiving. Our lender believes that. They've already scheduled our closing for less than two weeks from now. And our builder we met with this week, and he is ready to go. They've already shipped parts inside that building. So by Thanksgiving, you hopefully are going to see the ugly parts of that start to get demoed and and things happening. Really excited for what God is doing. So where are we financially? If you were here a couple of weeks ago, I gave you an update. For those of you who are not here, or either way, here you go again. Check this out. So as you know, we need somewhere, uh, what do we have? We're somewhere around 903000 in the bank right now to take the closing. We need somewhere in the neighborhood of 878. That leaves zero. Come on, somebody clap for that. Yeah. Woo! And some of you are saying, honey, we gave too much. We better stop. No, both of those are wrong. Go to the next slide. I'll tell you why we should keep giving and why you have not given too much. Uh, is because there are things we are doing outside of the loan. Uh, We just decided we didn't want to borrow anymore. And and we just reached as much as we felt comfortable paying back. So what that means is there's a few things we're going to do and pay for in cash. One of which is two mortgages. So some of you might be like stupid rich and own a couple of houses, but the rest of us, imagine what it'd be like to suddenly own two houses at the same time and pay like two mortgages. That'd be tough, right? Uh, So for at least six or seven months, we've got to live here while pay for that. So that's a great reason to keep giving, as well as the fact we are going to be doing some things we're paying for in cash. So for those of you that uh, have pledged for a certain amount of time or a certain amount, and you're saying, oh, I guess I can stop, hopefully not. But I do want to say, can I just say thank you as a pastor? You guys have given almost a million dollars in a year on top of all of your ordinary giving. You deserve to clap for the person beside you. Clap for the person beside you for that. So another 300000 by next summer is like, psh, man, that's easy. I'm not worried about that. All right, so hey, we are on the final part of a series we've been doing on spiritual warfare. As we reviewed the upcoming service this week, one of our staff members said, okay, so this Sunday we're ending spiritual warfare. I thought, yeah, come on. Wouldn't you love it if that were true? Like, yeah, if you just show up today, all spiritual warfare is over. Sorry. 
But we are going to finish talking about it today. How about that? You might still experience some of it if you continue to be a Christian who breathes upon the earth. Spiritual warfare is likely to not stop today. All right, so uh, as we pointed out before, five parts. You need all five parts to have a balanced view of our relationship with the enemy, his relationship with the Father, and who has what authority. You need all five parts. You can get that on our app or on our website if you've missed any of it. But just to get us onto the same page for today, I'm going to give you kind of uh, the punchline or the takeaway for what we've done so far. In part one, we started talking about there is a war, but it is a no civilian war. The Bible says that every one of us is either a prisoner or a soldier. Those are the only two options. You are one or the other. Nobody is watching this take place. We are experiencing it and we are part of it. But in the second part, we talked about how God has complete authority and the enemy knows it. Well, then, if that's true, why would the enemy even be doing this? Well, the simple truth is he's a cheater, he's a liar, and so he's just going to see what he can get away with. So many times what you're experiencing is the enemy simply doesn't fight fair. He's just going to see what he can do. And if you'll take at his word, then he's going to get away with something. And so then we came back in part three and said, well, is there ever a time that he doesn't have to cheat? Is there ever a time that if he plays by the rules, he can still get us? Is there ever a time the enemy has a right to mess with us? And the answer to that was, he has any right we give him. Every time we choose our ways or the world's ways over God's ways, that's called sin. And the Bible tells us that then we get to experience the fruit of our ways, which are in agreement with his. So then he has a right to mess with us. And our takeaway was give him no right. Give him no right. Say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me, I am going to close the door. When the enemy knocks, I will not open. I'm not going to invite him in. Then we came back last week and we kind of used the analogy of uh, an NFL team. Every team has a, a playbook. They say they, we're going we're to do this play and everybody on the field knows what that is. Well, the enemy is the same. He has a playbook, a very simple, very predictable playbook. And the Bible even says we're not unaware of his schemes. We're not unaware. At least we should not be. We should see it coming. And so if we see coming what he's going to do, then the answer is very simple. Don't take the bait. I mean, imagine if you're a fish and there's a big sign, this is the end of your life if you bite on this worm, (laughs) and you can read. That would be important too. Uh, Then you would not bite on that hook, okay? So we know what the enemy's schemes are. But I just want to do a real quick little timeout and say something we haven't said yet in the series. If we put parts three and part four together, it gives us a truth that we've yet to discuss, right? So God has complete authority, there is a war, but then there's this other issue. Satan's greatest partner is not his demons. Satan's greatest greatest partner is not a principality that rules the forces of darkness. What we learn in parts three and four is Satan's greatest partner is humanity. It's us. We're the ones that give him a right when he shouldn't have one. And we're the ones that take the bait when we shouldn't. We're the ones that open the door for Satan to do so much of what he does. And that's one of the truths we need to make sure we don't miss, right? God has complete authority, but then we tend to give some of that away. We are Satan's greatest partner. So we're going to wrap all of this series up today with this idea right here, stand firm. We're going to learn how not to be his greatest partner, and we're going to learn how to resist what he is doing in our lives. Can we, by the way, just take one moment and celebrate a victory of spiritual warfare as we talk about spiritual warfare? In this series alone, for the past four weeks, we have had 13 people move from being a prisoner in the kingdom of darkness to a soldier in the kingdom of God. That is worth cheering for. Yeah. 
I don't know of any better way to win spiritual warfare than to watch people have an eternity in heaven. That is super cool. So, well, as we're talking about this idea of being a soldier, we started with it. We just brought it back up. Why don't we finish with it? It'd be a great way to wrap up the series and come full circle. And so we should ask the question, if God has called us to be soldiers, you know, soldiers get uniforms and soldiers get gear for going into battle. What has God given us? Has he given us something that we could take into the battle, certain gear that we should have? Uh, some of you may know I went to Colorado just a couple of weeks ago because a pastor friend of mine is starting a new church there. So a couple of other pastors and I decided we would go out and we would strategize with him and look at what he was doing and the places he planned to meet and meet his team and kind of do some leadership stuff and all that sort of spiritual stuff. But, you know, then we're also just a bunch of guys out in Colorado who like the outdoors. So we thought, hey, we get to play for like a day, right? Come on, we get to go play for a day or two. So we said we'd go camping in the Rocky Mountains. Here's the problem. I got on a plane in Columbia, South Carolina at 85 degrees. And I packed for getting on a plane in 85 degrees. And where we were going camping had snow on the ground at 25 degrees. I had nothing. I had no gear. So I had to, we, we went, stopped by a store and I had to start thinking to myself, what am I going to buy? Because first of all, I have all of this stuff back home. So I don't want to waste a bunch of money buying things I already have. And I don't want to spend money on stuff for, for duplicates or whatever. So we go into this store and I'm thinking, what can I do with and what can I do without? What if, can I get by with for just two days and not like freeze and lose toes, but I don't have to have something else? It's kind of like one of those TV uh, survival shows where it's like you get to take one, one, one weapon or one whatever. You get one item for, for survival and you choose. Well, if I choose a, a knife, I'll be able to protect myself and maybe find food or cut down a tree, but then I won't be able to start a fire. But if I take a fire starter, then what will I do to boil water because I don't have a pot, right? You kind of have to pick and choose. I've got good news for you today. When it comes to the gear that God has given us for spiritual warfare, you don't have to pick and choose. God has not left us weak or vulnerable at any point. He said, go in the store and get everything you need. God has given us everything we need, not only for survival, but actually for victory in spiritual warfare. And that word, yeah, that's worthy of a yeah or an amen or that's an amen in Kent languages. Yeah, there you go. All right, so that's good. So I'm going to use a, a passage today we haven't used yet, and I'm going to tell you the truth. It's probably the most famous passage in the Bible on spiritual warfare. Matter of fact, there would be some sort of like pastoral law that I'd probably be breaking, some sort of atrocity I'd be committing if I did a series on spiritual warfare and we didn't look at this passage. But it's so famous, and many of you memorize it or have quoted it to yourselves or to each other at times, that the truth is we don't always take it seriously. So we're going to need to take a fresh look at this today if we're actually going to figure out what it means and how we're going to get the most out of it. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Come on, who knew where we were going? Yes! Yeah, there you go. All right, some of you knew where we were going. We're going to start in verse 10. And uh, Paul has written this book to the church in Ephesus, and he's wrapping up this thing all about, man, this is who you're created to be. There's a spiritual battle around you. You've got purpose. God is awesome. It's an incredible book. If you've never read Ephesians, I'd encourage you to do that. And so he's in the final chapter, and he begins to wrap it up with these words. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to do what? Stand against the schemes of the devil. We're talking today about how to stand firm. Last week we talked about what are the schemes of the devil. And then he wants to make sure they understand a very important point. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Married people, I know you think you do. But you don't. 
We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against rulers and the authorities and against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, our problem is that we are so naturally focused, but our lives are so much more than natural. Some of you have heard me use this phrase. Someday I'm going to create a whole series around this. Two realms, one reality. We have a natural realm, we have a spiritual realm, but we live in one reality. Those are so intertwined and overlapping that we will think that our enemy is our spouse, but they're not. We will think as we say, God, please give me a new job. My boss is the most miserable person on the earth. We will think that our boss is the enemy, but they're not. You see, every person in our lives that is a difficulty, every circumstance in our life that is a difficulty is actually just an opportunity for the enemy to bring warfare. Now, this is for free, and it's not a part of today's message, but God wants to use those same things to shape you, heal you, and make you more like him. But the enemy wants to use those things to take you down. So he will put us in tight situations with people. He will put us in circumstances. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We've got to remember that there is always something behind what we are seeing. There's something behind what we are experiencing. But there's an important word to use. Wrestle. You don't wrestle from a distance. Wrestle is hand-to-hand. It's up close, and it is very personal. The battle that we are in, it's not way out there. It's right here, and it is right here, and it is all around us in everything we do in life. Now, notice what he says next. So he goes on, and he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I don't know about you, but I feel like he just said that. Matter of fact, that's almost an exact rewording of verse 11. Paul, why would you repeat yourself? You're a good author. You've written most of the New Testament. I think you've figured out by now how not to be redundant. Why would you use almost the exact same sentence two out of three sentences in a row? And I'll tell you why. Because he knew what I've experienced as a pastor, and that is this needs to be said twice, Because most every Christian I've ever met does not wear the whole armor. Just to be honest, I'm not sure I do most days. I bet if right now we were to pass out little index cards and say, could you write out the armor of God based on what's about to be described? Most of us wouldn't get it all. I'm not even sure we'd know exactly how many pieces there are to the armor that he's about to describe. And if we don't know what they are, then chances are we aren't using all of them in our day-to-day lives. And so what I hope today is that we will take a fresh look at this and we will make sure all of the armor of God is being employed because if we're missing something, then it's a good place for the enemy to take us out. So what is the armor? Well, Paul gives them a great picture. You see, at this point in history, the Roman Empire ruled the world. And that meant there was a Roman soldier on every street corner ready to remind you of that. There was a Roman soldier walking down every street. So he just uses the picture of a Roman soldier. For them, this is so uh, perfect. For you and me, we're like, I don't know what a Roman soldier looks like. I'm not sure this analogy really works for me. So we're going to have to do double duty. For him, this sermon was like in the bag, man. It was easy. He just had to send him and say, hey, let me describe a soldier to you. They're like, oh, I get it. This is awesome. You and I, we're going to have to do a little bit of work. So he describes the different parts, and he starts out with this one. He says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having applied truth to your life. We already said in this series, Satan is called the father of lies. Raise your hand if you like being made a fool on April Fool's Day. Anybody? Didn't think so. Matter of fact, we get really angry when somebody pulls one over on us. Somebody comes inside and says, man, I just saw them towing your car. And you're like, what? And you run outside and your car's sitting there and nobody's messing with you. Dad, come at man, he got me. You know how you don't get duped on April Fool's Day? 
really simple. You know that what they're saying isn't true. That's all. I mean, it's that simple. If you know the person talking to you is a liar, you don't get duped on April Fool's Day. And if we would just recognize that Satan is a liar, when you look in the mirror and he says, you're not good enough. When you look in the mirror and he says, God made a mistake with you. When you look in the mirror and, and, and he says, God couldn't love you, Right? But truth, what is truth? Where is truth? We already said this as well in the series. Jesus is truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. And so when we get close to Jesus, when we hear what Jesus says, and Satan comes and whispers in our ear, we can say, excuse me, that's not what Jesus said to me this morning, so shut up. You see, that's the approach we need to have. Jesus said, I am the truth. Jesus even is the word of God in the flesh, which is the truth. He's the embodiment of truth. The closer we get to Jesus, the more time we spend to Jesus, the more we know God's word, the more that we can make sure he doesn't remove truth. If you were here last week, one of the schemes of the enemy, we said one of the six was to remove truth. Matter of fact, we said it was first. And at the time I said, I'm not sure there's any numerical order, but you know what? On second thought, especially after what I'm going to say today, I think maybe it does deserve to come first. Because if he can remove truth, then every other one of his tactics is so much easier to execute. As soon as we stop believing what God says about God, as soon as we stop believing what God says about us, as soon as we stop believing what God has said about the enemy and what rights he has, well, then he could get away with a whole lot. Then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, this is just like a big piece of armor that covers your upper torso, really hard for somebody to stab you if they've got to try and, and go through a big chunk of metal. Could I have a theology nerd moment with you? This idea of righteousness, what it really, a simple way to bring this down is being right with God. And we end up being right with God because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So when we talk about putting on righteousness, it's, it's kind of like a Halloween costume, except not even close. Is that okay? Because like you put on a costume to become something else, but you're not something else. So here we go. We put on Jesus. And what that means is when God looks down, he doesn't see you and your sinful self. He sees his son and his perfection. And so if you can imagine, there is this court up in the heavenlies where Satan says, look at Kent. He's a sinner and he's not good enough. But Jesus died for Kent. And Kent has put on the righteousness. So a gavel is hit and says, Kent is declared righteous because I see Jesus. I see my son. Now, for some of you, the enemy has a target because you're not wearing a breastplate. You have nothing covering right here. And the simple truth is you've never put on righteousness. No matter how many times you've been to church or if this is the only time you've ever been to church, somebody said, you need to make Jesus your king. And you said, no, I'm not sure I want to do that just yet. Kind of like the way I live, kind of like being in charge, kind of like my own rules. Well, you know, Jesus is cool, but there's too many questions I have about the Bible. So I'm not ready yet to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. You are wearing nothing here. If Jesus isn't your king, you have nothing protecting a huge part of your life. And that means that the enemy has a huge and easy target for someone who does not have the righteousness of Christ. But here's the real question. What about believers? See, too often we go, oh, I'm righteous by Jesus. That's good. But I want you to imagine for a minute, back to the whole costume idea. Everybody imagine me dressed up in an NFL uniform. It's not that funny. I am not feeling the love, just so you know. In all seriousness, if the video doesn't show it, I was a music major, I'm a concert pianist, and I'm 5'5". Five five. So, yes, me in an NFL uniform today at 1 o'clock would not be a good sight. I'm like going off on the cart, injured reserve list. It's not going to take much. You see, here's the reason. 
What's inside the uniform doesn't match the uniform he's wearing. Y'all get that already? Do I even need to explain that? You see, too often Christians are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, but what's inside of that clothing is not lining up with the Word of God, not lining up with the lifestyle God expects. And as we learned last week about taking the bait, or we learned the week before about giving the enemy a right, we open ourselves up to the attack of the enemy. Yes, you're going to heaven thanks to Jesus. Yes, you have Jesus to defend you, but unfortunately we keep opening the front door and saying, hey, Satan, welcome to dinner, come on in. Because what's inside the uniform doesn't match the uniform itself. And he goes on to say, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Let's stick with the soldier analogy, because what this is focusing on is that word, the readiness given by the gospel and shoes. Why is it shoes and readiness? Those things, they should bring to mind the idea of posture and stance and preparedness. And if you've ever watched any TV show or war movie or anything where you've got some soldiers or some police officers or a SWAT team and they're getting ready to kick in a door and they're going into a place where they know there's hostile forces on the other side, they take on a posture. They take on a stance. They stand a certain way. They hold their guns a certain way, right? And so what this is talking about is the posture that we have towards the enemy because of the gospel, the readiness given to us by the gospel. And that posture should be as bold and as, as tall as you can say. Like, I'm going to be 5'6 when I stand up against the devil. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I might even make 5'7 on my tiptoes, buddy. I'm standing bold. I'm standing strong. I am not cowering. I am not stepping back. Because, see, here's when it talks about what you get, the posture that you get from the gospel, it's not about who you are. It's not about what you've done. It's not about your strength. It is not about your wisdom. It is about the one who stands behind you and his name is Jesus. It is about the victory he already has. It is about the fact that he died, he rose again. The enemy has nothing on you. I like y'all better in first service. They were dead silent at that point. I'm not sure they were going to heaven because they didn't seem to like what I was saying. You see, the core of the gospel is that Jesus died for you and rose again. But we focus mostly just on the fact we get to go to heaven. And sometimes we miss Paul's point. Jesus died and he rose. That means he's not just waiting on you in heaven. He's alive right now. He is here with you. And all you have to do is remind the enemy, hey, look, right here, the guy that beat you. That's it. That is the posture you have because of the gospel. Matter of fact, if you remember a minute ago, he said, look, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against principalities. Let me tell you what he did with those. Another scripture says he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame. Are you kidding me? Open shame by triumphing over them. I don't know about you, but I read the Bible with a sense of humor. So at this point, I'm going, man, open shame. This is like when the bully comes out onto like the playground and he's harassing people. He's messing with people. And some little kid gets up and just punches him in the nose and he falls down. And suddenly the whole playground just starts laughing. I mean, I'm imagining at this point, like all of the, the demons are like, oh, no, we picked the wrong side. And Satan's laying on the ground and every angel in heaven starts laughing. Ha, look at you, devil. I mean, come on, right? Open shame. Somebody's laughing. I wonder what an angel sounds like when he laughs. I don't know, but I wish I could have been there to hear it. He put them to open shame. You see, the truth is spiritual warfare is simply about living in and enforcing a victory that Jesus has. That's all it is. He goes on to say, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. 
the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This is a really important detail here that some of us miss because, you know, we don't know what a Roman soldier is like, right? It turns out, actually, that they had progressed at this point in their shield making that, strangely enough, historically, they went backwards from. And if you go forward 500 years, 700 years, 1,000 years, people are actually not doing what the Roman soldiers had figured out at this point. You see, Roman soldiers had shields made of metal. Strangely enough, 500 years forward in history, they went back to using wooden ones. But here's the thing about a wooden one. People decided, well, let's just get some arrows and launch them into the army before they charge at us. Maybe we'll just get like hundreds of them to die. And you've ever seen one of those like Braveheart types of movies. Suddenly, you know, hundreds of arrows come and then half the army falls down. Nobody's even had to move yet, right? And so they figured out, well, let's get a shield. And if we just get a wooden shield and hold it up, it's going to stop all of those. And everybody holds one over their head. It's like a whole shield wall. It's great. So all of these darts come and they don't do anything. So the enemy goes, hmm, but what if we set them on fire? Flaming darts. You'll be able to extinguish the flaming darts. Catch that? That's what we're after. But the Roman soldiers figured out, wait a minute, flaming darts will set wood on fire. So what we need is a metal shield. And the idea of a shield of faith like a Roman soldier is, go ahead and throw your flaming dart. Just let it bounce off this thing. It's going to go, boom, hit the ground. Look at that. That's funny. Got another one? It's on the ground, too. You got another one? Bring it on. I can do this all day long. You want to come at me and say, I lost my job? That's okay. It just gives God a chance to give me a better job. I'm looking for a promotion anyway. You just, if somebody's making fun of me because I believe in Jesus, it's all right. They made fun of Jesus. I'm in good company. I can handle that. Oh, I got cancer? Oh, what about that? You can't kill me. I'm going to tell you a true story. One of our elders right now is facing cancer. And it's a recent diagnosis. He's actually going off to the NIH this week to figure out what's going on. And so I called him up. I said, hey, Joe, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing great. He said, I'm either about to have surgery and be completely healed or I'm going to see Jesus. What could go wrong? See, that's a shield of faith right there. You can't take it out. Throw another dart. Come on, hit it. Give me another dart. I got this one. It's going to bounce off and it's not going to bother me. Let me tell you what our biggest problem is. If I could say, if I could even go as far as say what might be one of the more important problems we have as Christians in applying the full armor of God today, most every Christian I meet has a wooden shield. And we can handle one or two flaming darts. You know, see, here's what happens is you hold up that wooden shield and something happens. Uh, younger in your life than you wanted, your grandmother died. And that was disappointing, but, I mean, grandmothers die. So it, it burned a little hole, and, and then you let it go out, and it was okay. But then your mother or your father died a little bit younger than you wanted. Uh, then every person you've ever asked out seems to say they don't like you and you're weird. And, and, and then God said, think God said that, but then the enemy says this, and you believe that lie that God created you wrong and, and you're not good enough or whatever. These little darts just keep hitting. And you prayed for a job that you thought would be really good for you, but God did not give you that job. And so another flaming dart comes. They just keep coming, and every one of them just sticks, and they catch the wood on fire. And every one that hits, you've been praying for this child, and they've yet to believe, and it just sits there and burns. You've prayed for your spouse to come to know Jesus or to at least start acting like they know Jesus, and it just sits there and burns. And eventually your wooden shield really just looks more like Swiss cheese because it's just all burned up, and it's got all kinds of holes, and your faith is so damaged. And this is for free, but you know what happens when, when the enemy throws a flaming dart at us and we actually just begin to think about it and meditate on it? You know, when something bad happens to us and the enemy whispers, God isn't good, and that flaming dart sits right there, the longer we think, yeah, it really does feel like God's not good, it just keeps burning. The hole just keeps getting bigger. 
Yeah, you know, God, your word said this, and you're not doing it. The hole just gets bigger. Yeah, you know, God, I don't think you're actually even listening to me. I don't think you hear my prayers. The hole just keeps getting bigger. Way too many of us have wooden shields, and we can handle the first hit. It burns a mark, and we can handle another one, and it burns a mark. But at some point, what's going to happen because you have a wooden shield is one of those flaming darts is going to hit a place that's already had a burn. And it's going to go straight through, and it's going to take us out. Too many of us are focused more on this life than on the faith that we have in Jesus. You see, I've met soldiers and talked to soldiers and, and worked with some who, in all honesty, had a death wish. And they were frustrated that they were stationed here at Fort Jackson teaching somebody how to walk in line while their friends were likely to die while being deployed. And they wanted to trade places with them because they wanted to die for honor more than they wanted to live on earth. And that really should be the Christian perspective. I'm more focused on where I'm going than what I've got here. But there are many of us that we're more focused on what our paycheck is than where we're headed. And we're more focused on our circumstances than what God has for our future. We need metal shields. We need to be able to stand up and say, bring it on. Bring it on. Just let it bounce off. Watch it hit the ground and say, you got another? Because no matter what you throw at me, my God is good. No matter what you throw at me, I am a child of the king. No matter what you throw at me, my future is certain. No matter what you throw at me, I will bring honor and glory to God. That is a metal shield. And that's probably one of the biggest changes we need to make, at least one of the most practical things that we miss in here. But it plays right into the next one when he said, take the helmet of salvation. This was beautiful. Paul is a genius because what usually happens with a head wound? It's fatal, right? A head wound is typically going to be considered fatal, especially in, in full combat. So he says here, the helmet is all about salvation. Nobody can take you out. You want to take? That's good. I'm going on to heaven. Just like we were just talking about, that's Joe's perspective. Joe's faith comes from the fact he has a helmet of salvation. You can't do anything to me, devil. Oh, what can you, uh, let me get this straight. You can send me to be in a glorified body in the perfect presence of a holy God. Oh, well, bring it on then. Since when in the Christian world did that become a bad thing? I don't understand why we're so sad at funerals. We've missed the whole point of our faith. And that is that we've got a helmet of salvation. This is not the end. The worst that the enemy could bring at us is the best he could give us ever. But it's more than just being saved. It's living with that perspective every single moment. Our perspective is on what the future holds, not on what is wrong right now. And he ends it up with this one, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. See, here's the truth. God's words always trumps the enemy's words. Always. God's words are better than our words. When Jesus was tempted by the enemy, what did he say to the enemy? He said God's words to the enemy. God's words are everything. God's word. This is our truth. This is our understanding of life. This is our understanding of God. And yet, sadly, so many of us aren't familiar with this. As we talked about this in part two, I gave you the analogy of a friend of mine who sat down to play a board game with me, me as his competitor, and asked me the rules of how it went when the rule book was right beside him. Instead of reading it on his own, he was willing to believe whatever his enemy had to say. And this is our problem. As Christians, when we don't know what's in here and we believe what the enemy whispers, we have a problem. And we will fall to anything. When the enemy whispers as you look in the mirror and says, you're not good enough. God doesn't love you. God couldn't forgive what you did Friday night. 
Oh, yeah, God could do. No, not you. You see, but if we know what this is, you know, God won't come through. With you. But this says God will come through. This says that God created us. This if we understand his truth, if we know it and if we trust it. And this is where another problem comes in for Christians, because I meet Christians all the time. They go, yeah, but, you know, what about this and what about that? And there's some stories. They don't line up with science. And I'm, I'm kind of confused about this. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. If you have a God who chooses to reveal himself and he cannot do that accurately and he can't even control what gets written in a book about him, then how can that be a God worthy of worship? There's something that's illogical about that. So we have to get to a point where we say, I trust what God has said about himself. And I trust him, and I know what his rules are. I know what is the victory for life. I have read the manual for spiritual warfare. You want to know something else for free? This is the only offensive weapon listed. Everything else is about protection. And if somebody enlisted me in the army, and they, they told me they were going to send me over to Afghanistan in a gunfight, and they said, we're going to give you some camouflage shirts and pants. And we're even going to give you a vest and maybe a helmet too. And we're going to send you into a gunfight, but we're not giving you a gun. I'm not going. This is the only thing that you've been given to have a forward attack on the enemy and what he brings into your life. And what's sad is how many Christians go into a gunfight with Satan without their gun. This is the only thing. And we don't know it. This is why we should be reading this every day. This is why we should be, if you get in your car and you're bored, turn on one of those Bible apps that talks to you. We need to know the victory manual for spiritual warfare. And he wraps this whole section up with praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplication. Praying at all times. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. It's really simple. Never stop crying out to God. Never stop crying out to God. And, you know, some people, they have this, this uh, uh, debate. There, there are scholars who debate and pastors who preach it different ways because so far, if you've been keeping count, we listed six aspects of the armor of God, right? Okay, so there were six. And then you get to this thing about prayer. And some people argue that there's actually seven parts to the armor of God. Prayer is part of it. But if you notice, I'm going to tell you I don't think so. Let me tell you why. If you notice, there is nothing that relates to the Roman soldier. And you know why that is? Because this is nuclear warfare. And there was no analogy to that with a Roman soldier. You can have a sword and you can have a shield, but a Roman soldier had no ability to get on a phone and call in air support and God would send a missile from heaven that would blow up everything the enemy was trying to do in your life. He didn't have an analogy for that. I'm glad one person's excited about the power of prayer. You see, here's the truth. I don't believe it's part of the armor. I believe it's what empowers the one in the armor. It's bringing in the nuclear option. I realize that word is getting overused these days in politics, but this is actually where, where it's a good time to use it. This is where you say, you know what, devil, I could fight you. You know what, devil, I could stand up against you. You know what, I got a pretty strong helmet and a pretty, I got a, a breastplate that's going to protect me. I've got a good shield, but I, I got a better idea. Hey, Jesus. Much better idea. So what are we to do? Stand firm. You've got no reason to back down. If you put on the full armor of God, if you can just imagine yourself with everything that we just talked about and being able to just take a posture where the enemy is looking you in the face, you do not need to cower. 
you do not need to take a step back. You need to stand firm. So what I want to challenge you to this morning is this. A Roman soldier, before he'd go into battle, they'd get together and each of them would look the other one over, come up and pull on the breastplate, see if it's a little bit loose, whack on the helmet, see if it hurts the head, make sure there's no cracks in the armor, look at the shield, make sure it's still strong, it doesn't have a place where a, a dart could get through. They're going to check each other. And, and if one of them finds something and goes, dude, look at that. Wait a minute. Your helmet's got a crack in it. Oh, I better fix that before I go in the battle. Or that could be what takes me out. So I want to challenge you this morning to take a look at this list. This is the armor of God plus the nuclear option. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, which one of these is your weak point? Which one of these is your weak point? Do you have a hard time standing on truth? Do you go to bed at night believing things that you know God would never say? You wake up, you look in the mirror, and you know the enemy starts whispering. You believe things about God, you doubt things about God. It doesn't line up with his word. Maybe for you, some of you, you have yet to take on the righteousness of Christ for the rest of us. Maybe we just don't match the uniform we wear. For some of us, we've forgotten that because of the gospel, he's already defeated. We're not trying to create a new victory. We're simply trying to live out one. I don't know what it is. As you look at this list, ask the Holy Spirit to show you where, where are you weak? Where are you not wearing the full armor of God? have one aspect better than another. Some of us are really good at one and we walk around and point at other people and tell them they're not as good in that area as we are. But what we need to do right now is just be humble. We need to look and say, Holy Spirit, where? Where does the enemy have a good shot at me? And if so, when you figure that out, stand firm. Since this is the last message in the series, I just want to add a caveat if you give me two more minutes. I'm done with that done with today I want to wrap up all five weeks with one final thought because I think it's really going to help you if you can hold on to one thing if you forgot I mean five weeks there was a lot said right but if you can hold on to what I'm about to say this will help comes out of first John and it says little children you are from God and you have overcome because he who is in you is greater than he is in the world He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God has complete authority and the enemy knows it. There is a battle. It's a no civilian war and no, the enemy doesn't fight fair. But I promise you, if you give the enemy no right and if you do not take the bait, you can stand firm. You have no reason to back down. And I'm going to close by talking to one group of people this morning as we just said 13 people in the last four weeks have transferred themselves out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God the problem with this verse I just read greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world for some of you he's not in you I'm sorry to tell you the truth but for some of you he's not in you you see if you have never surrendered your life to make Jesus your Lord and Savior to make Jesus your king whatever language you want to use then he hasn't moved in and he is not 
And the sad part is when you go up face to face against the enemy, you're on the losing side and you can't claim this. But I'd like to help you change that right now. I don't know what your questions or objections have been. Maybe you've had some Christians who were just jerks and you didn't want to be one of them. Maybe you've got questions about the Bible you couldn't answer. I don't know. Maybe something happened in your life and you're still angry at God. I don't know. But I want to help you be able to say this and make it true. That he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So if you have never made Jesus your king, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come up front or do anything like that. We're just going to pray right where we're seated. Would you all join me and say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. I thank you that you died for me, and now I want to live for you. I want to be able to say, because you were in me, that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And my simple prayer in this place today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.